The Rip Grandpa Fat Burning Workout is a heavily advertised fee-based program claiming in just 24 minutes a day you can boost fat loss, increase vitality, and skyrocket energy levels. In 12 weeks, you can be ripped. Hmm. Looking to the Prostate Cancer Foundation, which proclaims to be the world's leading philanthropic organization dedicated to the research and eradication of prostate cancer, and reading from their website about exercise, for prostate cancer survivors, exercise as much as you are physically able at a pace which is maximal for your personal fitness. Reading further, several studies have shown that vigorous exercise significantly reduced the risk of prostate cancer recurrence compared with the same volume of exercise at an easy pace. But what is vigorous exercise? And what is Grandpa Rip for a man facing prostate cancer? Hello, and welcome to Prostate Cancer Lessons and today's topic, Regaining Muscle, with our guest, elite trainer Mike Hernandez. Mike is also a powerlifting competitor, a Marine Corps reservist, and a family man. I am your host, Murray Keith Wadsworth. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Murray. I'm very excited to be here. Mike, please share with our audience your fitness background. Of course. My fitness journey started like any other teenager. Just looking to get some ladies, get some washboard abs, hit the beach <laughs> in that pursuit. Uh, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I spent five years on active duty. And in that time, I'd like to say that I was very privileged in having that opportunity and seeing fitness as more of a sustainable and lifelong approach. With that knowledge, I've been graced the career as a personal trainer and coach. And I really, really like it because I feel like Yes, all that time that I spent in the Marines was life-changing, but I never really affected anybody else's life. And now I have that opportunity every day. That's what I'm trying to do. Just trying to spread the message of strength training and building muscle, getting people to realize that that's the best medicine that we have. Mike has certainly made a big impact on my life. When I met Mike last summer, I had already fallen out with two other trainers. I had just turned 66. I was 20-ish pounds over my ideal weight, and I was displaying very well-developed gynecomastia, or beautiful breasts if I may, from hormone-blocking drugs. I was also facing very weak and declining upper body strength. My goal was not to be grandpa ripped in 12 weeks. I wanted to reverse my muscle decline, and I wanted to strengthen myself for the coming aging years and prepare myself for the possible inevitability inevitability. That's a tough word for me this morning, to long-term use of hormone-blocking drugs. Mike's knowledge was key. Could you talk to us uh, briefly about training age? Training age is important for two reasons. One is going to be where you should start. And for everybody, this is going to be a little bit different because some people have absolutely no experience whatsoever. And some people have dabbled in fitness here and there or maybe we're past athletes. So this this is going to really define where you're gonna start your fitness journey again or for the first time. I'd like to lay this out in the sense of how many exercises or how many sets of each exercise you're gonna do, or even frequency throughout the week, how many times you're gonna go to the gym. The older you age in fitness, so where you start, to where you are now is going to define how many times a week, 
how many uh, exercises per body part, and how much intensity there has to actually be to see progression. And then the second thing is going to be recoverability. So obviously, the younger you are in your training age, if you're just starting out, you don't want to do too much. But even whatever you do, you are going to be able to recover from that. Not only is this going to provide less sheer load on your joints and tendons, which will take longer to recover, but also the proclivity for actual muscle damage is going to be a lot smaller. So your ability to recover is going to be faster regardless of your actual age. As you start to train for a year or two or three, this changes. Your ability to recover is going to be slower and it's going to take longer. That's two things you want to keep in mind with training age. Thank you for that. The day we met, you talked to me about three movement capabilities you looked at. Could you talk a little bit about these movement capabilities? Having you do these exercises and at the very least be able to complete them was a good sign. This means that I didn't have to take into account too much your age just because it almost didn't matter. Again, going back to training age, you had never really trained for strength before. So the gains that you were going to make and the progress that you were going to see were almost guaranteed. It was just more about dialing in and having enough and not too much. Now, if somebody wasn't able to perform something like a Turkish get-up or an unassisted sit-up into a stand, a deadlift, or even an assisted pull-up is what we used mostly to train the dead hang. These are alarming signs because you should be able to do those. And to me as a coach, that means that we would have to work on regressions a lot because, again, you should be able to do that, right? These are very basic skills. Imagine yourself not as strong as you are. In an instant, things can change. You can lose your footing. The stability in your walk can be deformed through any change in the gravel or where you happen to walk. And all of a sudden you fall. Not only should you be able to, but it behooves you to have that not only strength, but the proprioception, the ability to know where you are in space, to be able to catch yourself and pick yourself up. I've seen that in both clients and my own family members. My family is not very active. They don't follow suit. They're actually very inactive. My mom has a broken hip, has a very bad knee for pretty much that reason. She is very inactive. So when she fell, it was almost a guaranteed injury. Hated seeing that. But again, she doesn't take advice from me. But the clients that do, those, those are the people that come back to me. They say things like that. What ease they had putting in cat food bags or dog food bags from the bottom of the cart into the trunk of their car. That comes from the deadlift, from being able to grip that weight and hold your core appropriately. They also have stories of falling and not being injured because they were able to catch themselves and pick themselves up. Those are success stories for me. Those are the ones that basically affirm what I'm doing. If we didn't work on those three things, I don't think I would hear stories like that. Touch briefly on the the dead hang. Yes, yeah, so the 30-second dead hang, and really the time is arbitrary. Just being able to grip your own weight, that's what's most important. And the dead hang is the perfect illustration of that as far as exercise goes, because you should have that grip strength. There is some research out there that states the grip strength of a young male today is that of an 
older gentleman in the 60s. So as grip strength kind of declines, we see also a decline in testosterone. And grip and testosterone have been very closely linked now in those studies. To state that your grip or the ability to dead hang is very important to not only your health, but the way that you feel is an understatement. In fact, most sports trainers and coaches, they'll use grip testing as a signal of whether that athlete will be able to perform well or not. The dead hang, I think, is the most basic way to really regress that and be able to tell whether or not you are strong or you have a good level of testosterone. To me, it's very easy to train. Literally just have to practice hanging or holding on to something or doing the assisted chin-ups as we did. Most people reach failure from their forearms because they're just not used to holding any weight. Mike, what I learned from you, because you mentioned it almost every training day, and I didn't want to hear about it. I jokingly said, oh, you're using those big words, is muscle hypertrophy. So could we go there? Hypertrophy and regressing sets. Hypertrophy, man, what a word. I, I do agree. That's a big little fancy science word there. Essentially, all it means is the act of building muscle. One thing most people don't think about, and that's the recovery process in between. Uh, so that's kind of where I'll start uh, because it, it is important. And it's kind of like the thing that nobody wants to talk about. So breaking down the muscle, that's easy. Really just push yourself to the point where you feel a burn, some kind of muscle uh, response, and boom, there you go. That's the stimulation that'll create hypertrophy. Now that we have the signal, what do we do in between each training session that's going to make that training matter and then continue to progress? And that's the recovery process, right? What you do in between. And this is where most people fall apart, especially at big box gyms. You'll see people come in on Monday, Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, but then Thursday, Friday, is very quiet. And then Saturday and Sunday, it's like a ghost town in there. Some people need that much time off. Others, not so much. And again, this comes back to training age. If you're just starting out, you could probably take a day or two, three days, four days. doesn't really matter. Your muscle kind of just wants to grow. So it'll take any signal you give it and respond well to caloric maintenance or a caloric surplus. But after a certain while, you'll have to start to dictate what's your minimum effective volume, right? How many times can you go to the gym? How hard do you have to push it? This stuff starts to matter. And then on top of that, what's your maximum recoverable frequency and volume? So how many times can you go to the gym and hit a certain body part or work out in general? How long will it take you to recover not only in between days, but in between sets and reps? Do you start to add supersets? These are all questions that you have to start to ask yourself because, and I don't want to get ahead on our discussion here, but group classes, training Tabata CD classes, your form of ideal is this is good enough for how long? How long is that good enough? Just starting out, that's fine. That's great. But then where do you go from there? How do you progress? I think that's something that most people have to understand, that there has to be a trajectory for progression. In the regression, we had you doing push-ups, kneeling. But you could get very comfortable there. You could even start to convince yourself that this is still hard enough. And the fact of the matter is that after a certain amount of time, you should have been pushing it to where that's not enough. Now you have to do deficit push-ups, creating 
more of a range of motion to make the exercise harder. Your goal should be to progress. In the lifting community, we call this progressive overload, and that can take a couple forms. Progressive overload can be adding weight or overall load. In the push-up format, it would be from going from doing push-ups on your knees to no longer using your knees to now doing push-ups from a higher angle so you increase the range of motion. That would all increase the load and so would be progressive overload. Another way to do that would be to add more volume. This is the one that I like the most because you can achieve hypertrophy anywhere from five to 30 reps. Pretty easy to come to where you can do 30 reps or more. So slowing them down in adding those repetitions, so five decent reps and then five slow reps, very different. Bringing your reps from five to 10 and then slowing it down and performing 10 of them, again, very different and still progression. So if we can do 10 and we don't have the time or we can't add another 10 reps for whatever reason, I would consider slowing them down. Slow down your reps. Maybe you slow down your first five and then you do your next five kind of at a normal speed. That's a progression in itself. Finding ways to create more time under tension, that's progressive overload. These are all tools that you can use when you talk about regression and progressions. It doesn't necessarily have to change the exercise. It doesn't have to be a variation of the exercise. It can just be slower or more reps or adding load, adding range of motion. These all make that exercise more effective. Yes, harder, but only because you're breaking down the muscle in a more efficient way. Regressions, progressions, progressive overload. This is all keys to making a good and sustainable workout program. Let's talk now a little bit about intention and determination. I know these are important to you. So could you talk on those two topics now, please? Yeah, of course. I like to say that intention is the way to get to a goal. You can have a goal and you can talk about it and you can be very motivated. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the intention or the plan or how you're going to get there, then all you have really is a wish. Your intention is your plan. How are you going to get to your goal? Whether that be a workout split like the one I handed you at the end of our training in person or program that I was kind of adjusting week to week as we met. All of those things fall in between, but you have to know where you're starting. You were going through muscle atrophy. Some of your muscles haven't, hadn't been used since your surgeries, your gynecomastia, weakness in your chest, all things that if I didn't fall back on the literature, I just wouldn't have known how to fix. You give me a lot of credit and I thank you for that. But honestly, I'm just falling back on what I know and what we know is true in the science, scientific community as as far as building muscle and what works. Knowing where you're starting from, regardless of where it's at, and knowing where you wanna be are good, but now how are you going to get from point A to point B? And th that's where I really struggled kind of behind the scenes. Every time we met, I also asked for feedback. I asked for how tough the exercises were because while I don't dogmatically believe in training to failure, it is good to know when you've hit that point where you can't complete a rep or when you have to regress the repetitions or the exercise within that set to complete the reps because that's how you know you're pushing it. So many times I've seen complacency in the gym from people that have a good plan or have a coach. They're just comfortable with where they are. And that's, that's the complacency, right? That's the comfortable feeling that you get. Even if the exercise feels like it's pushing you, what if it's not enough? 
And so having that plan, that progressive overload, that two to four week cycle where you can really push the envelope gives you that ability to know, okay, yeah, that first week I was slacking off a little bit because now I can do 15, 20 reps where I was starting with five. For everybody, it's going to look a little bit different, but at the very least, that principle of progressive overload of having your sessions kind of planned out in advance and being able to know when you're going to hit a certain load or intensity, that's crucial. And it's going to keep training interesting because, yeah, at the beginning of training, you might look four weeks ahead at your plan and think, there's no way I could do that. But everything that you do in between then or now and then is leading you up to that. So even if you mark failure on that day where the intensity was supposed to be high, where you were supposed to hit your goal, it's okay because now you have feedback. Now you can do your programming and now you can progress. It does get harder as you go. Uh, you know, as your training age goes up, like I said before, it gets tougher. It, <laughs> it becomes more and more monotonous. You feel like you've tweaked everything that you can and still not seeing uh, progress. Maybe it's time to start a new program. Again, comfortability can be with weights. It can be with sets. It can be with the exercises. It can be in the design of your plan. Maybe you just need something new. That novel stimulus more than likely will take you out of that. So if you feel like you're not progressing, take a look at your plan. Think about adding something new. That can definitely change things. Could you share with us what not to do in the gym? If you're just starting out, the worst thing that you can do is set yourself up for failure by thinking that you have to go harder than last time, five times, six times, seven times a week to the gym, one to two hour workouts, hitting every single body part on the way there, all the machines for three to four sets. That is a mistake. You've seen every single person that's tried it burn themselves out and never come back again. It's sad, but it's true. They like watching things like Rocky or whatever new action movie is out and feeling inspired. And, you know, they want to lose the weight quick. They want to get on the treadmill and do hours and hours of cardio. But unfortunately, that's just not the answer. The best way to do things is to crawl, walk, run. Give yourself two to three times a week. See what exercises you like. Follow a progression program that will keep you coming back to the gym. And then when you feel like you've gotten things down and you feel like you're really committed to that goal and it's no longer inspiration that keeps you there, but it's habit, then start to come in for four days, five days as you see fit and you'll be off to a great start. To those people that have been in the gym and they feel like they're not seeing progress, I hate to say it because <laughs> I don't like selling myself, but get yourself a coach. Sometimes an outside perspective is the best perspective that we can get. Sometimes we're just too close to the issue. Even as a coach myself, I hate being an athlete and a coach. It is the worst thing because you only realize your mistake after the fact. While a coach gets to see it right there in real time, they get to tell you what you did wrong. They get to tell you where you'd be going. Most of the time, yeah, we develop bad habits. Sometimes we get that complacency and we convince ourselves that we're not actually there. We are progressing. The fact of the matter is, you're not. <laughs> so yeah, Consider a coach, even if you're a, a newbie to the gym, a newbie, an oldie, whatever it happens to be, issue that you've never even thought of. 
So for us older men facing our aging, facing prostate cancer, perhaps dealing with these drugs, what should we look for in a trainer? That is a great question, actually. To me, I never treated my advanced age clients any differently because of one reason, and that's training age. This is what's really going to dictate how much work you can do. Most people may think that it's injuries or mobility or any of the fad terms that you might hear in the fitness industry today, but it's really not. You have a bad knee, there's probably a regression exercise that we can do that's within five to 30 repetitions for three to four sets. And we can focus on just improving muscle hypertrophy throughout our session. That's the same thing I would do for a younger client. To me, it was never really that different. Yes, there were some things that I had to work around or some hoops that I had to jump through. That's my problem, not yours. I think the biggest indicator of that is if you get a coach and they put you on a machine first thing, or even better, if they don't give you a fitness assessment, so if they don't ask you the right questions, do you have any current injuries? In the last two years, did you suffer any injuries, any medical conditions or underlying health concerns that will affect your performance slash exercise ability? And then beyond those questions, they're able to take you through mobility testing. So can you perform a squat? Can you perform a dead hang? Can you perform a deadlift of some kind? It doesn't have to be a barbell. It doesn't have to be weighted. It just has to be you trying to go through a full range of motion with a hinge pattern. That's about it. It's not the craziest thing in the world. We're not getting VO2 max testing, even though that would be great. At the very basic level, they should be testing you on what you can do and what limitations you have. And if they're not doing that, if they're setting you on the machine first thing, I hate to say it, but that's probably a bad trainer. And let's just talk about sweating in the gym. <laughs> Is that a joke? No. <laughs> it makes me laugh because I, I do think that it's still highly believed that if you sweat, you did the work, congratulations. All you have to do is be patient now and you'll get the gains. I think that's laughable. That's, that's why I asked if that was a joke because sweat is not indicative to muscle growth or any progression whatsoever. I can sit in my car in the hot sun and I can sweat. Does that mean that I'm going to lose weight? water weight maybe, <laughs> but that's about it. If you're looking for a workout or a trainer that's going to push you and it's going to make you sweat, maybe you don't have all the information yet. And I, I think you might be headed the wrong path. Working out is not about sweating. It's about breaking down that muscle and then you getting out of the gym, eating right, sleeping well, making sure that you broke down the muscle, but now you're feeding it and you're letting it recover so that next time you and break it down again, and it can get bigger and bigger and bigger and perform better and better and better. Sweating, unfortunately, is just the body's response to <laughs> how hard it's breathing or if it feels hot. It's going to cool you down. That's all it does. It does not, I repeat, it does not burn extra calories. If anything, it will impede muscle growth because if you sweat too much, then you're breathing too hard. And if you're breathing too hard, then you cannot brace properly and you cannot perform as many reps as you could have otherwise. So if you're sweating too much, get yourself a little fan or something. Cool yourself down. Very good. Thank you. As we wrap up here, Mike, thank you for your contribution. I hope our listeners have found it very helpful. Do you have any final thoughts and how can listeners follow you? Yeah, I actually feel like this podcast went very well. <laughs> I don't know if it's because it's our third time, but I felt like I, I got all my points across, which is great. I do have a website, bigmikepower.com. You can send me either a request for a 
fitness assessment, or you can just send me an email uh, with any concerns or questions you might have. And then I'm also on Instagram at BigMikePower1. Okay, so that's BigMikePower.com. Yes, sir. And BigMikePower1 on Instagram. That's right. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, I'm pleased today. We'll, we'll publish this one. Mike, again, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll be seeing you in a couple of weeks when I come down and see my grandkids and let you do a little assessment on me. So again, Mike, right. thank you. Yep. Thank you. And all the best to you, Mike, and all the best to all of us. And now, because it is necessary, I shall read a statement from my book, that has been slightly edited for this podcast series. Please do listen to the end. If you are in need of expert medical advice or assistance, you should seek it from a source or physician of your choice. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional medical advice because of something you hear in this podcast. This podcast is about the host and his guests' medical journeys with prostate cancer. The listener is advised that the host and his patient guest are not medically trained. The podcast does not provide medical, psychological, financial, or other professional advice or services, and it is not intended or should be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. The host has not received any remuneration for mentioning any tests, positions, institutions, products, or procedures. The hosts and guest references are provided for information purposes only and do not constitute endorsement of any product, medical procedure, website, or other information sources. Reliance on any information provided by the host or his guest in this podcast is solely at your own risk. With that out of the way, I welcome you to subscribe to the podcast series and to reach out to me, if you like, on my author website, www www.sheeporwolfcancer.com. My social media presence is primarily on Facebook at Prostate Cancer Sheep or Wolf. And you can learn more about my book on Amazon as well as other book resellers. Thank you for listening and all the best to all of us. In closing, Momento Mori, just not from prostate cancer. Prostate cancer.